0: The following is a paid advertisement and does not necessarily reflect the views of the Sacred Cows podcast. Hi, this is Willie Plays
1: here with a special offer for you to help you out with your samurai babysitting needs. Traveling unexpectedly through time to the future? Need some alone time? Maybe a night away from your samurai honor guard? Call
2: Casey Jones, Samurai Babysitter. Hey, I'm Casey Jones. And when I'm not introducing skulls to sports equipment, I'm taking care of that special little feudal warrior in your life. Whether you want to spend your evening trying to figure out how to travel through time back to the past, or just see a movie, I'm your guy. Hey, I got references.
3: When a family heirloom mysteriously sent us to the future, I needed someone to watch Little Samurai Junior while I studied ancient scrolls to find our way home. Casey Jones arrived promptly at eight. He was very punctual.
2: Punctual? Hey, I never ever looked at another guy like that.
3: Uh, Between the dangerous sewer and the seedy dive bar, Casey showed our little samurai a great time. I will give Casey Jones five-star on NG list. Arigato gozaimasu, Casey.
2: So next time you're trapped in a temporal displacement kind of sitch, call Casey Jones, samurai babysitter. We're a cut above the rest.
0: Oh... Very stupid joke.
2: Hey, can it, pajama man? Call me.
0: In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access to all forms of media, mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come for vengeance. A looming threat that? Uh, what is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight choices. Choose correctly, and I cannot be held responsible for your suffering. Is the next movie in my queue good or bad?
2: Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely?
0: A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over. Uh, one podcast dares to make sense of it all, so you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now welcome your hosts... Hey everyone, I'm Pete. Hi, I'm Mike. And special guest...
3: Hiroshi. How's it going? Thanks, Thanks, disembodied disembodied voice guy. guy.
0: Hey, Disembodied
2: Voice Guy, we're reviewing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 and 4 today, and can you believe that the Shredder's not even in them?
0: I know, and I never even got a callback.
2: What's with that? Okay. Welcome
1: to the Sacred Cows Podcast, where we review movies that are questionable so that uh, we can all enjoy them together. And today we're here again with Hiroshi. Hi, Hiroshi. Hello. Hey, guys. Uh, He's back again for uh, TMNT 3, Turtles in Time, and the 2007 movie just called TMNT, which is actually the fourth movie in the series. So this is going to be a lot different episode of Sacred Cows than uh, has ever been done before, because really it's going to be sort of two minisodes compressed together.
3: Um, lightning round
1: yes one for each of the uh, movies and then at the end of it we'll sort of wrap up by talking about the entire series because this will be the first time we have completed an entire series of movies on this podcast
2: there we go we're breaking new ground in so many ways so many ways horrifying ways
3: delightful ways oh I
2: like your spin on that he's so positive
3: I know right compared
2: to your negativity I I know well we balance each other out well
3: thanks for joining us (laughs) My pleasure, guys.
1: All right, so let's get right into our own personal experiences with the movie. So since we're compressing two movies into one episode, I think it's important for us to get right into the history that we have with the movies, as well as our recent viewing experience. Uh, Why don't we just go rapid fire into that? Pete or Hiroshi, does one of you want to go first, talk about your history with the movie, and then your recent viewing experience?
3: So I marathon these movies, and I realize they are actually the two that I've seen the least of this franchise. And granted, one of them came out much, much later. Uh, but even with TMNT 3, uh, you know, I had remembered so many things wrong that t- five, ten minutes into the movie, I'm like, oh, okay, no, I don't quite remember this movie, so I can approach it from fresh eyes. Uh, so, finally followed Pete's lead, grabbed myself a pizza, grabbed myself a bottle of cola, because we don't like giving away free money and advertising here, <laughs> and uh, sat down watch watched it as childlike as I could with both movies, and just went in with open eyes. It's
2: the best way to do it. Well, I unfortunately had to do a split viewing of this one. The stars kind of aligned for TMNT 3. Uh, which I watched straight through without interruption. I also had my pizza, because if you're tired of pizza, you're tired of life. It turns out I remember this movie a lot better than I thought I did, and now some of the things from 3 I had actually attributed to 2, The Secret of the Ooze, so I must have just been watching all three of these movies in standard rotation, no problem whatsoever. I watched the fourth movie later that night with my wife, who stopped paying attention maybe 20 minutes into the movie. But she's got this talent where she can just kind of give it the MST3K treatment throughout the movie, just (laughs) barely even paying attention to it, just quippy all the time. So it was kind of fun. We watched it straight through. This one I had only seen two times uh before and both in like 2007 by the time this came out turtle mania was way over for me so uh so i had very little viewing experience with this one but uh all in all the two viewing experiences this time were a lot of fun i just remember that i didn't watch uh
1: the tmnt3 as much as a kid at all for whatever reason i think i i, I burnt myself out on one and two watching them over and over again and You know, three came out two years later, and my childhood attention span must have been less. I do remember watching it at some point and owning the movie, but I just don't remember watching it a ton. And as far as TMNT, the 2007 movie, I had never watched it at all before. Yeah, that's kind of where I came from with it. As far as the most recent viewing experience, well, I sort of watched both of them in a row. Uh, I was a lot less relaxed, relaxed than last time. So I ended up doing them while I was actually, like, uh, doing laundry, folding that, and stuff like that. It wasn't that my experience was interrupted at all. It just uh, was—there mm, was 10% of my brain that wasn't paying attention because I was doing rote work. So
3: Yeah, there's 10% of your brain that's only active at any given point in time. I'd say you're safe.
2: Yes, 10% of your brain thinking at any
3: given time. Oh, damn. I did not mean to insult Mike. It's cool. It's what
1: we do. All right, now that we've talked about all of our experiences with the viewing of both movies, as well as our history, let's get right on to uh, the making. Um, And we'll start with TMNT 3 and go through the entire process quickly for that one, and then we'll do the same thing for TMNT 2007. that works. Sounds wonderful. All right, so here we go. So let's get right into the... Making of TMNT3, I know I did a little research with that. Did you guys uh,
2: do some as well? My uh, notes on that are mostly cast-based, but if you have some actual production information, we should hear that.
1: Well, I mean, the biggest difference in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Turtles in Time, is uh, they took a lot more time to make it than they did between 1 and 2. It took two years instead of one year, like they did between the first movie and the second movie. Hmm. And, and the reason uh, most of that was that uh, the relationship with Jim Henson dissolved. So Jim Henson production was not involved in the making of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Instead, um, they used the uh, company just titled All Effects Company to make the creature effects, which is the turtles, is splinter.
2: And you can tell they have a different look and feel than the Jim Henson Productions uh, puppetry, yeah. I guess you could say. A lot
3: more robotic in the puppeteering. Uh,
1: one one noticeable improvement, well, maybe improvement, depends on how you're looking at it, is that uh, it seemed like they had more of a, a, a fix on the, the remote part of it so that, you know, you could see the actors
2: like... Um, doing flips and kicks and things like that while the turtles were talking. Okay. Um, I also noticed that I did, or I should say, I did not notice any shells bending this time around. So perhaps yeah. they fixed mm-hmm. that as well
1: yeah and uh, there was even some like shell damage and things like that that were it's, it's sort of a new a new thing
3: i mean you could still kind of tell that there was not full robotics when they were doing their action, but it's like they loosen the jaw enough that you could see some movement to try and match up with the odds sure. and-,
2: and really, these costumes allowed a lot of movement i mean there there was some good yeah. martial arts taking place in these suits the the uh the artists inside did not appear to be hindered very much, if at all, by their uh, their suits, their bulky rubber suits.
1: No, I I totally agree that there was lots and lots of, of martial arts action in this movie. Some of the other production notes is that um, we obviously have some old faces returning uh, in this movie and some new faces and voices as well.
3: Well, you've got Paige Turco reprising her role as April O'Neil, but she actually gets... facelift in more ways than one some of the faults that you see in her character well not necessarily faults but some of the character traits let's say just so we don't get too spoilery have changed drastically not just her hair but personality as well you've also got cory feldman returning as donatello as the voice of donatello but you've got a new splinter In there for voicing and puppeteering. Kevin Clash no longer working with it because of the split with the Jim Henson company. It's
2: not Elmo anymore.
3: No. And Elias Kataeus comes back as Casey Jones and one other character who it's not really clear if he's an ancestor or not. That plot line exists (laughs) to an extent. It never
2: pays off, though. No. Oh, that's a little spoilery. Interesting, though, uh, he plays two characters in this movie, and it's probably good that he does because, well, no spoilers here, but I don't think they really used Casey Jones to his full extent. That's all I'm saying.
3: Well, they did bring him back to a pretty bitching guitar riff.
2: Well, that that is cool. (laughs) I wish that that happened when I entered a room, but other than that. You know, music was still John
1: Dupree. Well, actually, you had a new director. Yeah,
3: Kid K coming back. Yeah,
1: Kid K coming back. New to the franchise is Stuart Gillard, who wrote and directed this movie. So a new scenario. And
2: it actually had a lower budget than the previous movies um only 21 million and uh, well they figure people will pay money to see something with turtles and it doesn't matter what it is.
1: Right, right. And it, it only made double its budget, so 42 million. So not quite the financial success of the previous two films. Boy, hardly even worth it. I mean, who gets out of bed for 42 million, right? Uh, I would.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Gladly.
1: Uh, does anybody have, any, have anything else that we missed about the the making of this
2: movie or anything like that? It's just a fact that Leonardo and Michelangelo are the only two Turtles who have the same voice actor for all three of the live-action movies. I noticed very strongly that Raphael was a different voice actor as well. And names escape me, but it was enough to kind of take me out of it a little bit. But
3: You can feel it. You can definitely feel it. Especially with Splinter, I think, was probably the most drastically different one to my I ears. I agree with
2: that. Very different Okay, well,
1: with all that, let's get right into the spoilers. We're in the section where we're going to spoil TMNT 3. If you haven't watched the movie yet, what is wrong with you? You know what happens in these, unless you're a first-time listener, in which case, welcome.
2: Press pause on your VHS and go watch it. Wait.
1: How are you listening to this on VHS? Well, I
2: don't know, but we should have done that for the nostalgia factor. I
1: think if we ever do a Kickstarter, we should put an episode of Sacred Cows on VHS just for that
2: uh, one or two people that actually still have the player.
3: And we could, well, or we could
2: send them the player. I've got one sitting under my bathroom sink.
3: (laughs) There you go. I can make this happen. I can actually make this happen. My roommate has a VHS record. I know. Oh, man, I want to do this. So bad. <laughs> All
2: oh. right. Well, well, I misspoke, but it's turned into something beautiful. Hiroshi is now Dr. Frankenstein of VHS. <laughs> <laughs> <For sure>. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: Well, since you uh, had the really good uh, quippy joke there, Hiroshi, why don't you go ahead and give us the uh, elevator pitch of the plot of this movie?
3: All right, yeah, no, I'll give it a shot. Uh, Here's my plot synopsis of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. In feudal Japan, there's a daimyo by the name of Norinaga, and he is warring with this village of rebels who are against him for some reason. And Norinaga's son is actually on the rebel's side. Now, after being captured by his father's honor guards, Kenshin, the son, sees an old scroll depicting this war that his ancestors had with these demons who happened to look a lot like anthropomorphic turtles. And at that point, he takes a hold of his family's scepter, which has some mystical power somehow through science. Now you flash forward to the 90s, and April O'Neil, who is going on vacation, has bought an antique Japanese scepter as a gift for Splinter. And through its power, she and Kenshin swap time, place, and clothes, uh, literally swapping everything but hairstyle and a Walkman that April happens to have. So April gets detained by Norinaga, as well as this English pirate by the name of Walker, who is looking to do business with the Daimyo. And he's just trying to get his guns and cannons sold to the daimyo for money, gold, silk, silver, whole nine yards. So the turtles at this point try and figure out how the scepter works. Donnie realizes it's through the power of science, and it sounds so random and fake, it's glorious. But they decide that they're going to have to go back in time to get April back, but there is a time limit Where if they do not get back in time, there's going to be a shift in the space-time continuum, and they will never be able to come back home. So they go, they transport themselves, end up on horseback amidst this battle between Lord Nornaga's men and these rebels. And Michelangelo, the one who's holding the scepter at this point, gets split up from the rest of his brothers, gets knocked unconscious by the leader of the rebellion, a woman by the name of Mitsu and the scepter is taken by this hand that comes from off-screen. You don't see who it is. The three remaining turtles go to save April, and as they save her, they end up bringing along this mutinous pirate by the name of Wit, who is actually working against Walker, and they escape Norinaga's base only to meet up with this band of rebels, have a quick fight scene till... Mitsu sees Raphael unmasked, and she's like, oh, hey, I know someone who looks just like you. Maybe you should meet him. His name's Michelangelo. So they all meet up. Things are seeming happy, except they don't have the scepter yet, and they're only trying to go home. And in this whole process, they end up befriending the rebels who have had the scepter all along, but hid it to keep the turtles there so that they would help with the fight against the daimyo. Now, after the big reveal that they had hidden the scepter all along, Wick kidnaps Mitsu and steals the scepter, revealing that he was always working for Walker. And This is where the Turtles join the rebellion to take down Norinaga and Walker and get the scepter back so that they can go home. Also, Casey Jones was brought back for this movie, but really it was just so we could babysit the five Japanese men who had swap place with the Turtles in April.
1: So, okay, that was the. Turtle power! That was the elevator pitch, so let's just deep dive into it. The very first thing that I noticed about this movie is the obvious change in the turtles. The puppetry Mm -hmm. of Splinter was a huge thing. The very first words he says do not match up with the mouth flaps at all, and they never bothered to, like, redub the words, like, you know, in post or anything like that, which really spoke to me about how much the people cared about the movie. <laughs> you
2: know, they perhaps not uh not the titans of the puppetry industry the way that Jim Henson productions is. Few
3: people are.
1: I was wondering if the people that were operating the puppets were necessarily the same um people that were doing the speech. Uh in the case of uh Splinter anyway, that was always the case. It was that, you know, it was um Kevin Clash. Mm-hmm operating the splinter puppet at the same time he was speaking it's
2: just like a slightly more sophisticated elmo he's used to this kind of thing yeah
1: and of course the turtles were never that was never the case but um you know uh i the puppeteers and henson took a lot more care to make sure those lip flaps matched. Uh, in this movie, uh, you have uh, hits and misses. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, well, you know that being said, with the puppetry. Uh, moving on to the turtles, uh, we have to keep in mind that I watched a blurry Arabic dub last time, so I don't, I didn't necessarily notice huge differences. Now, of course, <laughs> the faces are different, and and that kind of a thing. But I really thought that the mm-hmm. turtles looked pretty good. I'm going to be honest with you here
3: yeah no they they looked reasonably good I mean there were some uh, a few moments where it seemed a little tr- bit too it- rubbery and definitely suit like but overall it still looked really good The neck flap you know is a constant issue with the heads you know coming on the way they do and you don't really notice it throughout the movie so I'd say points there.
2: I get it. There was some jerky animatronics to their, you know, close-ups of their faces while they were talking. It looked a bit Pirates of the Caribbean, but you know, it, I'm just impressed by how mobile those actors were inside of those suits. I mean, the very, fr- the very first thing we see in the movie is, may I say, a badass martial arts montage by the Turtles. It's not the mm-hmm. first thing we see, but it's the first thing we see in modern day New York City. And yeah, they're just it's
1: rather impressive, I think. You're right. They're they're talking at the same time that they're doing martial arts, just sort of practicing at home in their Turtles, uh, you know, subway station.
2: But but it feels like the choreography come a long way from the Sausage Link showdown in the second movie.
3: There's, well, that's the other thing that should be mentioned is the weapons use is back, I'd say, even more... Involved than it was in the first movie.
1: Yeah, with a vengeance.
3: Yeah, no, I mean swords everywhere, guns, all the turtles using their weapons. There's very few moments where they aren't, and it makes sense when they aren't as well.
1: They're going for the old samurai movie feel, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think in that particular aspect, um, it is working. You know, they they have uh, obviously the heroes, the four turtles. Uh, put in way over their heads. But the people that they're fighting are clearly skilled. It's more like, you know, the Foot Clan in the first movie. Um, If they
2: had, you know, swords and stuff like that. And helmets and samurai gear. That kind of thing. Now, of course, with that, the violence has been upticked, I would say. Uh, In this movie, there are guns, there are explosions. Uh, Bad guys are seriously talking about killing, you know, people and turtles and that kind of thing. The second movie would not have dared to even imply that anybody was getting killed at all in that whole movie the way that the turtles use their weapons is it looks like they're dealing damage to you know you know they're armored people but still i mean people are going down and they're staying down in those fights
3: yeah it's not like people are really getting stabbed in the eye and you see him in their final death throws, but you definitely feel like the stakes are actually back up and that there is some risk involved. And it's summed up best, in my mind, with a line between the daimyo and Walker, where the daimyo says, we're going to have a battle tomorrow. And Walker, my prison is very full at the moment. And Walker looks at him, oh. Oh, it would be <laughs> inhumane to fill that up anymore, wouldn't it?
2: "Mm-hmm." We just better not take any prisoners, then. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's a
1: good point. "Mm-hmm." Also, I mean... um." Turtle damage is back, too. So, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. by that I mean you can see it most clearly when they're learning to ride the horses and the turtles are, like, (laughs) falling off except for for Leo. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, you see, like, Donatello getting up and having a conversation with April, and you can see turtle bruising,
2: you know, is back. Uh, Raphael has a scar on his lip. Uh, I noticed it halfway through the movie. I don't know where it came from, but it looks like it was put there on purpose. It's not just a, you know tear in the rubber because some stagehand was being careless. It it looks like it's there on
3: purpose. That's awesome. I did not notice that.
2: Hmm. Check it out. Uh, it, well, I noticed it most notably uh, while Raphael was showing actually some very uh, serious emotional maturity during the Yoshi scenes. He kind of takes mm. the young man under his wing, but we can talk about that a little later. Obviously, a
1: big deal is that Casey's back in this movie. Um, uh. But to what
3: extent? I was so happy to see him. You get the... Like, it's a, an awkward, stiff introduction. Don't get me wrong. You know, Don Tell walks in. Hey, guys, I found somebody on the street. Uh, figure I bring him in. Bitching there's, guitar riff, and there's Casey meow, meow, Jones. Meow,
2: meow, meow, meow. So let's say we yeah. go bust some skulls? Or whatever. But... No skull busting is to be had because they've brought Casey Jones on board as a babysitter, essentially. And that's how he spends his time in the movie. Man, people must have been so excited for that 90 seconds of the movie when Casey Jones was coming back. And they're like, all right, we're going to see hockey sticks connecting with heads here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I have to admit, I was like,
0: yeah, Casey. Mm -hmm. Uh Oh,
2: let's underutilize this guy for the remainder of the film.
3: Well, and especially to get Elias Koteas back in that role, because he was so good as Casey in the first movie. And I mean, he's still good as Casey in this one. It's just there's nothing for him to do in that role.
1: Yeah, he was like you know, the big deal in the first movie. He was like Donatello's equal or not Donatello. Sorry,
2: Raphael's equal. Right, right. They were always yeah. going toe to toe with their, you know, their punchlines with each other, essentially, and their fighting. But uh, they don't even interact in this movie, I think.
3: Yeah, they have a brief moment where he insults Raphael after saying hi to everyone else.
2: Ah, there you go. But uh, he doesn't even have a moment with April, really. I mean, the only time you see those two together is at the very end of the film. They're laughing together at something that the turtles just did that was funny, but they don't really interact with each other at all. No, not too much. It He's just there until the, at the beginning and the end with the turtles, and that's it. I don't know. Maybe they thought it had put a few more butts in seats, but what the actor doesn't do with Casey Jones obviously uh he does with the character in sixteen o three Japan a uh, wit who is the the English we see him thrown into the brig right away for being a pirate or a mutineer or something like that and I did not notice that as a kid i I remembered a lot of things about this movie uh from when I watched it, you know. 20 years ago or whatever, but I did not ever notice that. Probably because I was an unperceptive kid.
1: Yeah, I I didn't remember the whole wit plot whatsoever. Um, That was completely new to me on this viewing. It was like, whoa, there's a guy. Is that Casey? I was like doing the April thing. Is that Casey? Mm -hmm. And then, oh God,
2: it's like some guy that looks just like Casey. It's really not even that noticeable. I mean, somebody at work that I was talking to about this movie pointed it out to me. That it was him, and I'm, and I may not have noticed if not for that, and for the many ma- references that the characters make to it.
3: It's the the weird thing about that whole character is so many things aren't noticeable yet they're trying to slap you in the face with it. So it's this weird, not nothing's really working situation with wit. I mean, he's supposed to be betraying everyone, and he's. That just kind of is there, and then goes away five minutes later. Right, and you know he's more of a plot device than anything, really.
2: Yeah, really, the only twists in this story kind of come from him. You know, he's a friend, yeah. then he's a traitor and a foe, but then he's a double traitor and he's a friend again. Uh, so, right, it's just like oh, he's he's just there to make the plot seem a little bit more complex. Uh, That's it really otherwise not that way.
1: yeah. So what do you guys think about the um the whole time travel and, and everything like that?
3: I love <sighs> that the Japanese egg timer, as mm-hmm. April puts <laughs> it, um somehow they were able to create a device that can transport people in time and space because I mean if we're just talking time travel, typically people think you know you stay in the exact same location as where you started but they're going all the way to the other side of the globe in feudal Japan. And yet timelines won't sync up later on and hello plot device to get us into Japan.
1: It's pretty like, I don't know. We just need to do something different. These turtles. Hmm. Let's send them to feudal Japan. Now it does come from the comics that they that magic exists in the teenage mutant Ninja turtles world. Mm-hmm. And of course the cartoons and stuff that we saw uh when we were growing up as kids and stuff had it
2: too. But previously in the movies had just been science. And you know what? I would have been more satisfied if they had explained the, you know, Japanese time machine scepters as magical. But no, they try to do some utterly ridiculous, bogus science explanation from Donatello, you know, invert the cosine of the primary square root of the integer or whatever. He was just using uh like calculus it, yeah, was so it was so dumb. It was so dumb. And based on these totally hand-waving, made-up calculations, I find that people of equal weight can come back in time.
3: Which April O'Neil and this feudal lord's son are the same weight?
2: Yeah, d- yeah, yeah, right. Is April and a Japanese prince, or, you know, the turtles and four warriors? I don't know. Plus it does it's not consistent i mean april goes back and is in the you know japanese clothing but she's got her walkman with her and the samurais <laughs> have their swords with them and all that kind of stuff it's just like wow talk about picking and choosing i don't know I just I would have been much more satisfied if the time travel aspect of it hadn't been explained, or if like the instructions of how it works were found on the ancient scroll, but not Donatello figuring it out on his like Apple IIE using the world's dumbest jargon. You it know? wasn't even an Apple IIE it was just generic computer interface right it was I... it was nothing. the amber screen and whatnot, you know it's just like, ah, oh, they ruined it by trying to make it sound
3: smart. Part of me wanted some guy in a scarf to walk up and just say wibbly wobbly timey wimey. So, okay, <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. go there with it. There you go.
2: It's all part of the Who verse now.
3: Now, I, I think the other weird part about that whole mythos that they've got set up is they plant this seed that there are A, either other turtles or B, demons that look like these turtles that attacked the feudal lord's ancestors. hmm. That goes was nowhere. Unexplainable. Does nothing. They're even wearing sashes the same color of the Ninja Turtles. Not over their face, but like... And it... it, they The turtles come across this scroll and go, Huh! We were around before, I guess? Maybe we
2: went back in time and did this? Or there are some other turtles out there? Or... Who knows? That scroll was a little strange, I will say. The one thing I think can be explained possibly, is that perhaps the two scepters are actually the same scepter, and it just happened to find its way to a New York City flea market, and so the people from back in time were able to travel to its present location or something like that. I don't know. That's,
3: well, I mean, that's what I would have figured, but then they have the, oh no, we lost the scepter, why don't we make a new one and it'll work. Workaround. Well, th- that's so, true, like... and
2: they use, they use geometry. Apparently the power of the scepter is geometrical in you know Mm -hmm. nature like you can just build a scepter of the exact same dimensions and it'll be a time machine i don't know
1: yeah i just lost it in a well though Mm -hmm. in the well
2: yeah the the original (laughs) scepter was never actually destroyed it was just hidden Mm -hmm. so who knows who knows it's really not worth even trying to explain it's just i don't know it's Perhaps the dumbest least thought out part of this movie
1: all right well let's 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 move on to something else that's not so dumb. then Some of the things that I really noticed about this is that um there was a lot of the turtles trying to use a lot more stealth, which was a complaint that we had about t m n t two i e turtles aren't using stealth um they had a whole that whole stealthing sequence into the end where they got into the base
2: basically and uh hanging onto the undercarriage of a carriage uh, yeah essentially
1: and, uh, uh-huh and then there was the the castle climb and different things like that that they've done uh throughout the movie so ninja the, turtles being ninja turtles again
2: they which, were in disguise yeah. and they were trying not to be you know discovered
1: yeah i i really thought that was a, a huge step in the right direction there was a lot of uh of shtick about the turtles on horses which I thought was very entertaining
2: the whole subplot I guess of the turtles falling into league with the rebel village I thought showed some of the most uh I don't know the emotional maturity the uh the just maturity in general of the turtles at that point I mean Leonardo Michelangelo and Raphael all did things to endear themselves to the people and Mm -hmm. it was uh what was it uh Michelangelo saved Yoshi, the child, from the burning building. Leonardo gives him CPR. Raphael becomes his like mentor because he senses the same anger issues in the child as he does in himself. I mean, it was all deep, I guess, for this movie. Now Donatello's only role was to provide mumbo jumbo scientific crap. He didn't. Well, I mean, really he have did a lot of the fighting. I mean, yeah. his fighting was good. He did some fighting. Yeah. That's true.
3: But yeah, this is the first movie where you feel like there's some actual growth that will that lasts like I mean you've got some growth out of Leo and Raph in the first one no growth in the second one in fact they regress quite a bit mm-hmm. but each and every one of the turtles felt like they understood you know we've got a role and we've got a reason to be and there's still you know evolution happening like you said with Raphael just, he even calls himself out he's like wait I'm I'm preaching calm the anger
2: yeah right huh. Did I just say that? Yeah. And it, it's not Donatello's fault that his part is a little worse due to bad writing. I mean, you know, it's just what it is. It's the
3: plot. It's a curse of the turtles. I mean, Donatello and Michelangelo are almost always background characters. And when they aren't, only times I can think of, they're kind of part of the problem.
2: Yeah. You're right. Yeah, usually. Hmm. Hmm. But their their overall characters just aren't as compelling as the you know the the much deeper uh, you know budding of heads that always happens mm-hmm. between Leo and Raph.
3: That yeah. being said, Mike had a good you know run when with when it came to oh what's her name Mitsu. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a whole romance angle where he finally felt like he had someone he genuinely cared about, something that he loved that wasn't just his brothers or his father in Splinter.
1: I loved that about this movie. I felt like um, it was interesting sort of uh, ending twist that the Turtles didn't necessarily want to go back for different reasons. I mean, uh, Raph didn't want to go back because uh, of Yoshi and... Of course, he had said, like, oh, my God, clean water and
2: things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Raph is taking a chance to enjoy nature, you know? Yep.
1: And then um, then you've got uh, Michelangelo, uh, because of Mitsu, doesn't want to go back and, and things like that. Although her heart belongs to Kenshin. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the whole thing, like, sort of, like, ends their character arc. So when they do go back, I mean, they realize that their place is New York City. Right. But they have that bittersweet exit.
2: Right donatello wanted to go back because there were no machines for him to do there <laughs> essentially yeah it really
3: was a 50 50 split
2: yeah i can't remember leo leo is just you know the practical one he's like we belong in new york city with splinter you know et cetera. let's get real
1: well he's the he's the oldest brother so he's the one that's always that's thinking right. about the family
2: fun times over yeah you can't split up the brothers i think they said in the mm-hmm. movie
1: Other than that, I mean, does anybody else have anything with the uh, with the whole plot or, or, or deeper discussion?
2: It's notable in this movie that we haven't got your typical turtles bad guys at all no shredder he's gone no foot clan i mean like mike said before this is the plot of a samurai movie a kurosawa movie or whatever it it uh, didn't necessarily even need the turtles in it uh could have been any protagonists however it always felt like a ninja turtle movie so i think that they did a good job with that
3: yeah it's it I mean, it did feel a bit scattered to me because it's like, well, we, you know, what are some of the things that kids like? They like the Ninja Turtles, sure. They like Samurais, cool. They like pirates. Let's put that in there. They like Check, check, check. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was definitely running through. But you're right. There definitely was a balance. Like, nothing felt like it was just ham-handed in there outside of Casey Jones.
2: No, I thought the plot was competent the bad guys had a plan that didn't change willy-nilly and they followed it through to the end it fell apart because it's a movie where the good guys win but (laughs) obviously all right well um i think we're ready to move on to then the final
1: verdict for this the first of the two movies that we're reviewing (laughs) all right so let's talk about the verdict for this tmnt3 Turtles in Time movie. Is it going to be sacred? Bovinus Sanctorum. Or is it going to be put out to pasture?
2: Bovinus Excommunicado.
1: You're the guest, Hiroshi. Let's have your verdict first.
3: All right. How do I put this? I'm, I'm really torn on this movie. What it wants to do, it delivers on, it doesn't really falter in anything it sets out to do yet at the same time i don't really feel like it's as magical or as impressive as the first one is there wasn't a scene that really stood out and captured me to make me laugh and be as truly memorable as the fight in the nightclub as there was in the second movie but it wasn't bad so I hate to say it, but I think I'm going to have to go with It's Not Sacred.
2: Hmm. All right.
1: All Interesting. Right.
3: Interesting
2: so, angle there.
1: Pete, do we rock, paper, scissors for the next one?
2: You know what? I, I can just go. Yeah. All right. All right. I This was a tough decision for me. Even just a couple of hours ago, I didn't know which way I was going to swing on this. So I'm just going to come right out and say it. My verdict is... Also not sacred with the disclaimer that in my opinion, this movie is better than teenage mutant Ninja turtles two. I thought that it was definitely, it had a lot more strengths than that movie. So, I mean, and this movie in fact actually comes very close to sacred territory, but I just couldn't get there uh, for the following reasons. Uh, the movie just does, doesn't do anything to advance the overall plot of the Ninja Turtles. The mythology—it's episodic. It—it's—it's it's not really um, getting them to a, a higher place or, or moving the plot forward. Uh, the voice changes were disappointing. There's no Shredder, and that's just tough to. Uh, Tough to handle, and the time travel explanation is just beyond bogus. I'm sorry, I, I couldn't get past that. They should have not, they should have opted to not explain it at all, hmm. and leave it a mystery. And and that's the reasons. Oh, and Casey Jones is just a babysitter. Boo. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, um, I have to say, after hearing your your uh, arguments for non sacriticity
2: not, I have prob- I have changed not, my verdict. Not I, design, not divine bovine.
1: Yeah, I was I was leaning towards <laughs> sacred and and here's the reasons why I was. I really liked the characterization of April in this movie. I thought oh, she was back yeah. to uh real April territory, back being, on form. Being a feisty person, uh being, you know, strong female character, uh trying to make the best of her situation, trying to be smart and outsmart Bad guys and say, yeah, I am a witch, and and you know I'm powerful. Leave me alone. Stuff like that. Using using her brains to get her try to get herself out of a bad situation, and then at the end, sort of being uh, the person who sort of marches back into uh, the stronghold of this this uh, army, and 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 sort of starts the process that lets the turtles sneak in and do what they're doing. So she's a partner in saving the day to this movie. So I think from that angle I was I was I was going for it as well as having good action scenes with actually the turtles feeling like they were in danger not having the the annoying character of uh Kino Kino something like that I mean they had the whole village was their sidekick Yoshi was a little sidekick he's a little kid you know just didn't say much mm-hmm. and it wasn't he wasn't so He wasn't bad at taking away from things. He was showing the turtles being heroic and things like that. So I was leaning towards the sacred territory. That said, the misuse of Casey Jones by itself almost uh, exclusively takes that off my list. I mean, uh, April and Casey are kind of a a pair, at least as far as the TMNT movies go. The first one setting them, And, and without spoilering, the 2007 one have them as a pair again. Uh, in the comics, uh, they've always been a pair. Not so much in the in the '80s cartoon, but they've always sort of been like uh, there for each other. And really, it's like, yeah, basically, Casey sees April at the end, you know. And and we never really have Casey being strong on his own or or doing anything. He's just Casey Jones' babysitter, and, and the whole Splinter uh, thing. Uh, you know, he just kind of chills too. And and really, you know, they're they're there for. Comic levity. And the worst part about time travel, in my opinion, is that um you know the underwear that you get when you magically time travel isn't that flattering at all. No.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a full body underwear suit, I guess. Yeah. So
1: so I guess I will I will have changed my vote to um almost sacred
2: but not quite yeah i just want you to know mike i was so close to gilding this calf i mean it was Same. it was very quick it, it was it's just kind of like a momentary thing with like a change of heart that has me going in the direction i'm going
1: I, I think i speak for all of us when i say um i was surprised i was surprised at how much i like this Given yeah. that I looked at all the reviews on like Rotten Tomatoes and things like that. And and, and I remember reading reviews and stuff, um, you know, when I was a kid, because mm-hmm. uh, I used to read movie reviews because I couldn't afford to go see a lot of movies. So I knew like if I was begging my parents for the chump change to go see it, that I was actually begging them for something worthwhile. And I remember just that people burn this movie to oh, the yeah. ground.
3: Oh, and and now ever.
1: I think it holds up just better than two.
3: Yeah. I mean, this is the issue with a binary rating system because we're all like right on that mm-hmm. cusp. We all want it to be. And I walked into this movie kind of with a chip on my shoulder mm-hmm. and it almost won me over. It's just not enough to be sacred. Yeah, worth watching.
2: That's the heartbreak of this show, man. We got to call them as we see them. Yeah, you, you got to go with that binary rating. There's the verdict. Not
1: sacred anymore. Yeah, Super I
2: close. Just couldn't do it. Again,
1: if you're watching the series, you have to watch it. Mm-hmm. But oh, absolutely. it is not up to TMNT1's standards.
2: Right. Watch TMNT2 while you're doing the laundry. Pay attention to 3.
1: All right. So uh, with that, we're going to go directly on to the uh, making of the 2007 TMNT section, as well as other uh, details about the background. So let's talk a little bit about the making of the 2007 film simply titled TMNT. That is the fourth film in this
2: series. Well, uh, the first thing you're going to notice is that this is a computer graphics movie and not a people wearing puppet suits
0: film. What? That's true. What, dude? Radical. Computers?
2: Without assigning too much personal judgment on that, it opens up a lot of opportunities for, you know, fight scenes looking good and, you know, that kind of thing. Takes a little bit of the fun out of it, I think, but that's all right. So very different feel, obviously.
3: From new companies coming into it. I mean, you had... It was New Line and Golden Harvest originally running on those movies. Uh, this one is Warner Brothers and the Weinstein Company backing Imagi Studios.
2: Mm, completely different.
1: Uh, it is meant to uh, continue the continuity of the TMNT franchise, but... It, Although it, that is in dispute. There is a dispute. Yes, the creator of of uh, of the franchise... Well, of, creator of TMNT Ninja Turtles, Peter Laird, uh, has said that he considers it a separate continuity. The director and writer of the movie, uh, Kevin Monroe, has indicated that it was intended to be a continuation of the movies, which is why it comes in the four-pack
2: if you buy the DVD set. But you decide who would know better about where it belongs.
3: Well, I think it's up to the audience, because really they don't shove it in your face. The closest they come to that is... At the very end of the movie, Right. with a couple of little Easter eggs that you have to be, you know, paying attention to to maybe connect the two. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. It, it is it is kind of important. This is also
2: a movie that um, has a star-studded cast. Yeah. I mean, my <sighs> God, Hiroshi has indicated his enthusiasm about that. Would you like to talk a bit?
3: Oh man, so. I mean, my dream career is to get into voice acting. And outside of the 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 main cast, you've got Sarah Michelle Gellar as April O'Neill, Chris Evans as Casey Jones. You've got Lawrence Fishburne narrating it. You got Patrick Stewart working as Winters, one of the big characters in this. But I mean, some of the side characters that are in there as well, who are just voice acting legends as far as i'm concerned you got john dimaggio you've got billy west you've got basically the whole cast of futurama (laughs) yeah yeah no actually that's it's very true nolan Uh, north phil lamar james
1: arnold taylor yep
3: just honestly in my mind heroes of the voice acting industry people who you may not necessarily know who they are but i can tell you multiple characters who you'll be like oh they played that oh how, they did this how do you say his name
2: I, fred tatscior or something he plays the hulk but he's the like big general in this movie yeah yeah mm-hmm. um i wanted to mention that uh god how do you say his name mako iwamatsu mako that He mm-hmm. played Splinter in this movie. Uh, he's, you know, a notable Japanese voice actor. But this yeah. is his final performance uh, as a uh, living person. He died <laughs> after the production of this movie. So are you indicating that he performed from beyond the grave after this? If he did, he would be good at it. Ah. Very good. <coughs> yeah. Disembodied voice guy has his number.
1: <laughs> yeah, as a potential threat, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay this this movie um also uh it was uh, a movie that had about the budget of the original t m n t movie uh we're talking thirty four million here and it actually ended up doing uh pretty well um three times it's it made three times its budget back
2: right it had a theatrical release and everything yeah, this was a time
1: when people were like i i i don't know what that that is you know it's uh it was originally announced with John Wu supposed to helm the movie. Basically, Wu moved on to other projects. It was supposed to be live action originally when John Wu was attached, but they decided to go CGI. And then we had Kevin Monroe come in writing the story and things like that. And they went with CGI because they thought it would be easier to show the kinds of action that they wanted to do with like turtles, like, you know, patrolling the streets on rooftops and and different things like that, you know, uh, like they are to do mm-hmm. in, in, you know, more to modern interpretations. Yes. Um that
2: way. Oh, a lot more vertical jumping thanks to the CG aspect.
1: And also, I mean, you had a new studio come in because Golden Harvest's rights to the franchise had um expired in 2004.
2: Oh, they missed it by that much. <laughs>
1: Obviously, like any turtle movie, tons of marketing and tie-ins. They had new action figures that were designed to look like these turtles. Um, I remember you know going and and walking through the aisles of a target and seeing, wow, you know, these new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles toys are cool. And I, I had friends who had seen the movie and, and I have to admit, I had not seen the movie before this viewing. So, um, but it had said that it was really good and I just never got around to it. So
3: hmm. um it's interesting. You say that, because I had only seen this once and almost every single review that I had come across, had been been fairly negative. Looking up now it's kind of a polarizing film. You know, critically panned but you know, looking on metacritic users were cool with it, but it's it's really across the board in how people approached. Well, yeah. you
2: know, nostalgia is the strongest force in the universe. So, and almost anything can kill it. It's a paradox. No, it it seemed to
1: be um exactly like that. Uh you were you know the critic critics hated it and and fans uh generally thought it was okay it made 54 of its 91 million you know here in the u.s which um you know these days in movie numbers that's chicken scratch yeah um who gets out of bed for that in 2007 that's 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 big monies and and you know the rest of it was international
2: yeah 2007 eight years ago it's it's already pretty old so
1: yeah ancient
2: by uh by animation standards uh but not by our standards.
1: Yeah, so does anybody else have anything uh they want to talk about with the making or such with the movie?
2: Mm,
3: no. Uh, only other thing of note with the cast, I forgot to mention. Zi Zhang. Ah. Oh. Uh, most notably from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and, and other every movies. every movie set
2: in China though. after that for 15 years.
3: Exactly. Brilliant actress. Ooh, very. But... She, as far as I was concerned, kind of miscast in this because she's, her accent was so thick that it almost seemed like it was a parody and offensive. Just because English is nowhere near her first language. I think she learned it only a few years before for another one of the films. Hmm. And it just, it kind of felt awkward to
2: not me. to mention once again she's playing a japanese character and she is chinese as <laughs> yeah. in memoirs of a geisha
3: yeah. well yeah racial sensitivity is you know. what it is
2: <laughs>
1: interesting all right well with that we're going to go right on to the spoiler section for this movie
2: all right, why don't we get into the plot and spoilers of TMNT. Uh, Mike, I don't think I've heard you give a Turtles uh, summary yet, so in 15 seconds or less. I don't think I can do it in 15 seconds. Okay, in 15 seconds or more. Tell me go. about TMNT. All right, well, here's the pitch.
1: 3,000 years ago, there's an Aztec warlord named Yautl, and he discovers a portal to another dimension that has great power. He becomes immortal, But his generals that are sort of helping him as he's conquering other uh, Aztec tribes end up basically becoming stone. Uh, The the portal also releases 13 monsters out into the world to terrorize and rampage throughout the ages. Meanwhile, the, the TMNT had just defeated the Shredder, well, and the Foot Clan and stuff over the course of the previous movies. At least if you say that this is not a separate universe, some of them stuck together, some of them went their separate ways. So we're taken to a city where the TMNT are not together. You have Leonardo off in the jungle, you know, basically doing his own thing, trying to become a separate leader. Uh, Raphael is a vigilante superhero a la Batman. And Mikey and Donatello are basically working stiffs. Uh, um, Donatello taking tech support, you know, because he's a nerd. And uh, Michelangelo running the kids party scene as a turtle. That's like a stuffed turtle. So he's wearing turtle stuff on top of his turtle stuff. Maybe that's a wrong way to put it either way, but it is so accurate. Winters. There's a guy named Winters who is this like billionaire has lots of power. Um, who is actually Yowdle in disguise is trying to resurrect his generals, i.e. his friends and, uh, capture these 13 monsters, For what purpose, nobody knows. April and Casey, meanwhile, work for like a shipping firm where April is like an archaeologist now, no longer a news reporter. And she ends up bringing some of these figures, all of these figures, to Winters, who brings the generals back to life and uses them to start capturing these 13 monsters, use them during some celestial event that will make them mortal again, and then they die uh, happily So that's really it. Meanwhile, there's the Foot Clan um, that's kind of just there. The Turtles wrestle with their own internal strives with each other. Um, Casey sort of deals with his issues with domesticity. Uh, April's kind of a badass now and has apparently learned how to be a ninja. The Turtles kick ass at the end of the movie and save the day. And everybody gets what they want except the bad guys. Because, spoilers, Winter is not the bad guy
2: oh now i get it
3: the bad
1: guys are his generals so uh now i understand the movie mind and, and the monsters so and at the end basically we have the foot clan which had been reformed in the time between uh tmnt3 or whatever last thing the turtles did together until you know the present day in this movie it was very strong and basically uh karai who is the Female lead of the Foot Clan, and if you read the comic books, the Shredder's daughter. um, She's the leader of the Foot now, so there you go. And basically saying, I'll be back. And
2: may I say that Karai is a much more competent uh, instructor, anyway, than the Shredder, because the Foot Clan is all of a sudden looking a lot more dangerous than they were... (laughs) Probably, Mm -hmm. probably due to the fact that, uh, you know, CG ninjas look a lot better than a bunch of bumbling uh, extras. But um, we we don't know their ninja background in this movie at all. We don't. (laughs) But they move like ninjas. Right. You know,
3: well, she might not be relying on the downtrodden youth of New York. (laughs) As her right, recruitment, right? Pool.
2: She may have brought actual ninjas from actual Japan.
1: She's
3: like,
2: All right, everybody, we're gonna change things up in here. Real ninjas, not troubled youth. Uh, yeah, so maybe in Shredder's dying breath,
1: he's like, Karai, come on over.
2: I've made mistakes, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> Love it.
3: And this is how we get Will Arnett.
2: He'd look great in the mask. Arrested
1: turtles. There we go. Somebody start a Tumblr. (laughs) I'm in. Oh, so yeah, that I know the elevator pitch for this movie is so much harder to do than the other movies because there's a lot going on, but there's nothing going on. I mean it's true. Neither of these movies are very easy to talk about. That's that's kind of a an interesting thing as the plots
2: aren't so simple, but they aren't so complex. At their heart they're very simple, but they have a lot of moving parts like right. you mentioned.
3: This one I think a lot more than most of the other movies. There's so many um plot points and subplots that are going on all at once.
1: Every character has their own motivations, which is a is a really good thing I can say about this. I mean You know, April's got her own things going on. Casey, Raph, Leo, Splinter, uh, Donnie, and Mikey uh, are marginalized again.
3: Mm, Yeah.
1: They basically just want, like, their old lives back. You know, they're sick of being a party dude Haha, ha, in, the, in the wrong way, and uh, and but, uh, but tech apparent, support guy.
2: Apparently not a surfer anymore. Michelangelo is not a surfer anymore, not according to his vocal stylings. He is a hella skateboarder. No, he's a skateboarder. He's a skateboarder, which is far more appropriate to New York City, I think, but especially the sewers. Um, but I think, yeah, the main plot of this movie, at least as far as the turtles go, is kind of the healing process that Leonardo and Raphael have to go through when Leonardo returns from his sabbatical and Raphael thinks they've been just fine without him not being there, and so they butt heads in a very major way. What I like about it is that, unlike the previous Movies where
1: Raphael and Leo butt heads. This one, you definitely have Raphael earning the the angst, or not angst. Um, yeah, the bad vibes between him yeah. and Leo. He's not
2: just mad for no reason. Right, like he's he, been in the past. He's yeah.
1: mad that that Leo, his brother, abandoned them, and nobody's there to pick up the slack. And he knows that Splinter sent him to do training, but he's left for longer, a year longer than he was supposed to, mm-hmm. and. Um, the city, meanwhile, is getting, there's more crime and things like that. And he feels like they're not doing anything to help the people. And so sort of, that was sort of, you know, Raphael's whole thing in the past is like, you know, he's was frustrated because he wanted to help the people. But this time it's amplified by his brother left him mm-hmm. and no, none, nobody else seems to care that things are getting worse in town. Right. And so he goes to take it yep. on himself like he always does.
2: Right. Well, but I mean seriously, Donatello and Michelangelo are a tech support guy and a mascot. I mean, they just decided to drop the act like, you know, it's just over for them. Whereas Raphael decides that he, you know, he's going to bear the burden of all of New York City on his shoulders since apparently, you know, he's Batman. He's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And Batman doesn't exist in this Gotham, so it's got to be him.
1: I I loved that they made April continue to evolve, obviously, beyond it. The one thing you can tell is there's yeah. been some time, some time mm-hmm. between um, whatever ended them, which if it was the events of TMNT3, whatever, I can assume there was some other things that went on before Splinter set them out. But what I've read um, from 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 things is that the intent of this movie that uh, Kevin Monroe, when he wrote it, was that it's about 10 years after the last um you know, great battle of that the t m n t did and so it's it's basically you know even though leo 's only been gone two years uh they had a lot of times where they're just kind of you know tooling around new york and they 're frust- they were frustrated, so mm-hmm. then you know splinter's whole thing was for for leo to find um himself again and give them direction
3: well and jumping back to an earlier point, this is where I make the disconnect and say it 's not really part of the franchise because April O'Neil and Casey Jones kind of look like they're mid-20-somethings. Mm-hmm.
2: I could see that. Well, they haven't, yeah, right, no crow's feet there or anything like that. But in addition to that, uh, they're just not, like, the same people anymore. I mean, April's not no. a reporter anymore. She's a, you know, a treasure logistics professional or something like that.
3: She's Laura Croft. Right. Yeah,
2: yeah. she's Laura Croft, Indiana Jones, whatever. Casey Jones, who is this guy? He's about as unmisogynistic and and macho (laughs) as possible. I mean, his biggest uh, offense in the whole movie is probably that he falls asleep on the couch, you know, when you know he should be doing something or something like that. You know, I mean, he's just he's he's all polite and caring and holding down a steady girlfriend. I mean, come on. He still busts skulls, but Uh, he's gone through some
3: changes. He does mock women's driving.
2: Yeah, he does. Does he? Oh, that's that's all yeah. over
3: then. Never mind. <laughs> well,
2: I mean, my point is blown away. <laughs> well,
3: a specific woman. Well,
2: uh,
1: I mean, the 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 theme of this movie, as far as like the main characters go, um, is changes. You've got the turtles have changed. Yeah. Casey has changed. April has changed. Um, they're more domestic. Splinter is changing because he's realizing that he's got to make sure that his kids. Have yeah. their legacy, you know. that They, they know what they're going to do because he won't be around forever.
2: And, you know? and now he's watching the Gilmore Girls, apparently. I thought that was hilarious.
3: <laughs> Although he is fighting more in this movie than he ever had that's before. That's right,
2: that's true. So,
1: if you want to talk about, like, inspirations for this, this is going way deeper into the comic book well. Now, in, in the comic books, um, April Neil never was a reporter, the original comic series. She was a computer programmer that worked for Baxter Stockman, a character that never appeared in these movies. Um, Which they probably cut because too unbelievable, right? The mousers and things like They had enough science going on in the first movie. Yeah. Um, and that was that's post Shredder. But April basically was a computer programmer who eventually becomes a ninja. She learns from Splinter and things like that um, and, and becomes a force of her own. So that's where they're going with her character. And she's wearing Bruce
2: Lee's jumpsuit.
1: Yeah, and she's always with. She was always with Casey and stuff. So Casey does and her become a, a couple, and they get married in the movie. So that's where that was Aww. going. And, and there is this whole split that's, uh, you know, culminates in this movie in the fight between Leo and Raph. I think one of the best fights of the movie because it's so heartfelt. Oh, but man, it, it is all about sequence. changes for, versus the what the villains are doing, which is more just standard villainy.
2: Well, thuggery, really. I mean, there's nothing evil about it. They're they're doing their ninja stuff for a paycheck, essentially.
1: Yeah, yeah. That yep, that's the foot. And then Winter's really isn't a bad guy, but you
2: kind of get that he is a bad guy up until the very last moment. Well, he got all that money somehow.
3: Uh, and they even show him uh, as different major historical figures throughout history in these statues and paintings that he's collected over time, kind of honoring and and hinting at the fact that this guy has amassed his wealth throughout history f- over these 3,000 years so that way he can right his and, wrong and,
2: and not always through nice means either I mean you know you mentioned some of the you know most harsh people in history has he really reformed at this point now that he's trying to end his immortality or is he just bored of you know he's been at the top and now he's bored of it
3: it's actually a legitimate question I mean the the one thing i will say is because there are so many moving parts to this there are certain things that maybe could have been explored a little bit more or a little bit deeper um, i.e why exactly is he wanting to end his immortality why does he want to end this curse is it regret whatever uh that being said i mean Just like whether or not this is canon to the previous three movies, I think it's kind of up to interpretation.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. It it feels a lot different than the other three.
3: Hugely. Hugely. And not just because it's animated. Although
2: that's a large part
3: of it, I think.
2: It feels
1: like two different movies that come together at the end, you know? Like I said, you know, you've got the Turtles and and April and Splinter and and everybody, you know, just uh, their changes in their lives and sort of coping with that and becoming newer better versions of that uh and then you've also got winters and his whole thing with his crew doing bad shit and then you know uh all of it culminating together um as sort of like the winter stuff is sort of the impetus for why the changes you know get recognized and 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 celebrated in a lot of cases and accepted among the different, you know, main characters that will carry on in the franchise. I mean, the 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 most inexplicable thing completely in this movie is just the foot. I mean, they're just other than um, you know, being Winter's paid thugs in this particular case, um there's no changing Karai as a character. Um you wouldn't know that she's the Shredder's daughter unless you did a little backstory, you know, looking uh, you had you had, they had no motivation whatsoever. They're just literally blank canvas ninjas.
2: Right, but they are sp- yeah. bound by honor and all that kind of thing. I mean, the only reason they become you know de facto uh, allies is because they're bound by their honor to fulfill their contract to Winters, and so they're not going to side with the most probable. I mean, it's honorable. What can I say?
3: Mm-hmm. They. It's. Uh- yeah. That's kind of become the mythos for the whole ninja thing is, yeah, they were mercenaries, but they were honor bound to their mm-hmm. contract. And it's it's kind of interesting to see how that yeah, plays out. In they this won't one. bite the hand that pays them.
1: But I, I really wanted to see more of Karai. And I think they were going to explore more of that if they did a sequel. That was what they were talking about, Um, because Karai is supposed to be sort of like Leonardo's um rival later on in the in the relationship oh. um, she doesn't want to kill him but she can't forgive him because of what they did to the shredder and there's a lot of like emotion so they thing. probably
2: end up doing it
1: i don't know about that but
2: okay. <laughs> <Off> screen, <laughs> there's a lot of
1: respect definitely between them and stuff like that um yeah so let's talk let's get a little bit deeper into like um the relationship changes uh, again going back to the leonardo and Raph fight i think that is the pinnacle Of this movie.
2: That is supposed to be the flagship emotional moment of the movie. When they fight on the rooftop. And, you know, Leonardo's like, I'm the leader. Raphael's like, you're not the boss of me. They fight. And Leonardo's
1: like, I'm better than you.
2: Right. I mean, Raphael defeats him with his anger. It's a very light side, dark side type of a thing. But he immediately, you know, feels ashamed that he's done that.
3: It's just such a beautifully scripted segment. Um, both in the uh, words that are exchanged between each other and in the animation itself. It, it truly was stunning to me how well they pulled that off. And, Mike, you had alluded to it earlier. It was definitely earned throughout, and you felt this tension building and building and building, and then finally it comes to a head with the words, Rath, don't do this. Mm-hmm. And then just, you know, it explodes from that point outward, and... You you know that this is you a are damaging moment
2: for their relationship. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And and you are just seeing what you would expect out of a turtle fight, where it's just like, all right, swords versus size, what's going to win? Because Raph's taken on this perform- or, uh, persona of the Night Watcher, he's got all these different tools at his disposal. And then what it does boil down to, you see, like these tools get stripped away from him. And then it does boil down to that raw personal it's Raph versus Leo at the very end of it. And just really, really well done like that. That was some brilliant choreography. They had the,
1: uh, and of course the symbology is like Raph puts up the armor, has all of the armor and things like that. And Leo slowly strips it away until, you know, they're getting down to the core of their conflict and they're being honest with each other. And then they have their real fight. So Mm -hmm. deep.
2: Wow, man! Yeah, it's incredible. Groovy. It's, it's like the ocean.
1: <laughs> but the also the cost of it. Besides uh, Raphael being ashamed that they had the battle, the cost of the battle being the, that Leo gets captured the by the bad guys. Cost, right? uh, yeah. Um, You know, and he wasn't expecting that. He was just going to run away with his shame, and then ha- realizing that because Leo was tired and, and defeated and now defenseless, uh, you know, he cost his brother probably his life at the time you know mm-hmm. he thought of that you know so uh going back to, to to splinter and 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 you know having to face um the problem and and realizing they need to be a family a team to defeat it you know kind of back to the theme of the very first movie
2: which that that situation we were just talking about is what of course brings raphael back into the fold he realizes he's going to need all of his brothers and allies and family in order to uh to get leo back make things right
3: i felt like they handled his shame and it, the reason for his anger really really well in that scene with splinter where he's just like a no i'm not your favorite son and all the and splinter finally humanizes with him he's just like you no none of you are my favorite son you aren't mm-hmm. my favorite student at times but that is completely different than everything else and it was a great awakening moment for the character
2: i agree for sure
1: so that got the gravitas it deserved. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, um, meanwhile, I mean, um, it's sort of like secondary, obviously, to the Turtles. But Casey has a similar thing um, going on with his whole, like, you know, basically, uh, am I ready to sell down? Am I done being the vigilante guy? You know, am I just here to or am I gonna,
2: April? Or am I going to sneak out the window while April's not looking? Yeah, and split some skulls, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Which he does.
1: Mm -hmm. and and so it kind of goes back to the um him not realizing like how much april has his back to the point where he didn't even realize that like wow she can use a samurai sword Mm -hmm. she's like practicing in front of him in the beginning of the movie and he's like sleeping sleeping on the couch
3: couch. you know (laughs) well it's even outside of that i think there's an interesting lesson that they're trying to teach that cosplay or a skin-tight jumpsuit can sometimes save a relationship. <laughs> I wasn't sure what they were oh, going for yeah. there. Oh, yeah.
2: That is an important point, Hiroshi. These are animated cartoons, guys. <laughs> My wife just kept saying, "What happened to her torso?" I said they're they're cartoon skinny. I mean, come on.
3: It's yeah, it's definitely one of those animation tropes where like the waist is now the size of a wrist on most females and, and who males. aren't supposed to be. I mean
2: look at Casey fat. Jones. He's he's like <laughs> at, his legs are thicker actually, than his yeah. torso, but he's got these gigantic shoulders. Oh look yeah and and even
1: more yeah. so with Winters like Winter's like huge upper
2: oh. body and tiny little legs. Well yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> yep. it's an artifact of the animation which I did want to talk about. Just the fact that it's CG the graphics are dated. It is 2007. It looks like graphics. the
1: Incredibles, but not quite as good.
2: It Right. It looks like a cutscene from a, yeah, a, yeah. a video game of the era. But, you know, CG takes a little bit of the magic out of the equation. Like when you watched the first three Turtles movies, you were like, wow, look at that incredible puppetry. And it's crazy how they can do those stunts in those suits. All that's gone now. It's just CG, you know. You used to like to try and guess how they did a special effect as a kid back before everything was CG, and now the answer is just it's CG. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, I, I, I will agree. There's definitely a certain level of the charm that is missing. Uh, but the the question you have to ask yourself, and this is entirely a personal decision for whoever is watching, what they replace it with. Does that make up for what is now lacking? Because they definitely replace the lack of the suits with, um, you had mentioned it before, P like a lot more vertical and, and mobile action. You know, the camera work, you could do some really interesting things with the, the sequence where they're essentially sieging Winter's headquarters. Mm-hmm, yep. You know, the camera panning so it makes it look like it's a single shot take where the camera's like moving around and scrolling around and jumping between all the turtles and Casey and April and Splinter as they're taking down the foot to try and get into this building was, again, you know, a a great scripted sequence, really well animated. it wouldn't have been possible
2: Um, live action. I mean, a a Splinter participating in a fight scene wouldn't have been possible live
3: action.
1: No, not the way that they had him popular
2: before.
3: they did have him against the Foot Clan in the second movie. And granted, he just shot a single arrow and you didn't that's see true. him shoot the arrow. You just see him doing, you know, the pose afterwards. Right. <laughs> he
2: actually took down the shredder in the first movie, too, now that you mention it. But but in oh, a very yeah, stationary a manner. Very subtly.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: He tripped him. He right, tripped him. That's it.
1: I think I, I'm comfortable with the trade, personally. Myself, I, I liked the action, the amount of action. In 2007, it would be harder to do it. I feel like... Until we got to the level of like Batman Begins or, you know, movies of that thing, which would only come, what, 2008, a year later, Um, we didn't really do those kinds of actions and things like that um, on live action. And then, you know, adding turtles and puppets and and other things to the mix might have compromised the ability to do that. The Raph and Leo um, rooftop fight would have been a very different fight had you not had... Raph, you know, being able to wear the body armor and Leo not realizing it was him and being the only one who didn't. <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, you know, just, you know, the way that the chains and stuff were going. We really didn't see those things start going until we added CG. And then you get, you know, Batman and the Avengers and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Nowadays, you probably could have done it. You probably could have done it. But back then, you know, maybe <laughs> and not Michael as much. Michael
2: Bay did do it.
1: Well, and, and, and no. we don't know about the success of that cuz honestly I haven't watched it neither.
2: I haven't either. I've seen a few clips and bye well, you know, they they were going for life like turtles and I think they did all right. But um yeah, I would I would gladly take that trade i guess right and my complaints about the cgr are 100 percent meta it, it 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 only served to increase the level of action uh and really that was a beneficial move and
1: it was a very dark movie despite the fact that it was a cj movie
3: and some heavy themes too you know that's yeah, granted the turtles have never been as a franchise too shy to go into some heavy themes uh, but this definitely, again, if we're counting it as part of that franchise, a lot heftier than the second and the third. You know, the impact, the weight, the motives, all of that. Yeah, definitely. To, to me,
1: it did seem like um, the Raphael from the third movie who had sort of began, who, who was accepting his family, realizing his anger, realizing his thing and doing battle with it, you know, trying to help Yoshi. Still could end up being the Raphael from this movie because he was
2: abandoned by his brother, who right. was supposed to be the leader who' was supposed to be in charge. It was a trigger.
3: I think even more so
2: for sure he just he, it all just comes flooding back when he realizes that something that he counted on is now you know it abandoned him.
3: Well yeah, the, it sort of to him it
1: seems like it's hypocrisy. The very thing that Leo preached is not what happened, especially when he was gone longer than he was supposed to be. mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, um, there were there are nods in this movie to the previous movies as well. Now, at the end of the movie, you see the Shredder's helmet, which is clearly the movie Shredder's helmet. Mm-hmm. There on the on the trophy mm-hmm.
2: wall. Yep. Um. As well,
3: you also see the broken canister of. Booze. Yep, and
2: it says TGRI on it. Did we saw some Japanese themed mm-hmm. things? Did we see the scepter from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three? I don't think I caught that. There there was like a kabuki mask and a, like a, a paddle yeah. fan and that kind of thing. Oh. So I don't know. Was it a kabuki mask or was it a samurai mask? I don't remember.
3: Yeah. I, I can't remember exactly, but it definitely had uh, some of those relics. I'm not sure about the scepter. I know the scepter was essentially destroyed at the end it, of the third was. movie, but I mean, so was that can of booze. Sure. Right.
2: Yeah, it was a cracked can of booze. It was a burned out scepter. Yeah. Yeah. So, um,
1: yeah, there were some some other quotes there. Obviously, the almost fight between uh, Raph and uh, Casey was sort of a throwback reference to the actual fight between Raph and Casey right. and TMT one movie, yep. You know, before Casey's like, oh yeah, I know you're Raphael. I'm just mm-hmm. giving you shit. You
0: know. I was like, Wait, what? Well, my
2: disguise was so good. Yeah, you have three fingers, bro. <laughs> you, look, you look like a big metal turtle. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and they had some even, like, smaller, probably not intended as references, but um, I like in the diner sequence, you have the guy, the chef, played by Kevin Smith, who's freaking out because he's just seen a monster meanwhile the patron who's just sitting there reading the paper no reaction new yorkers fight happens around him completely doesn't respond this is new york another
2: monster in new york it must be tuesday all right well with that let's get right on to the verdict all right well it's verdict time let's find out if this beef is sacred or not Why don't we start with you, Mike? What did you think of TMNT? I am going to say I think it's sacred.
1: And the reasons are I really liked the characterizations of the turtles. I liked the conflict between Raph and Leo. I liked the conflict between Casey and April, which is more of a non-conflict, but Casey doesn't realize it. Um... And I like, you know, the whole uh, themes of family and realizing who you are and 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 growing up and stuff and, and getting back together. That said, the only things that sort of detract from that, I think the whole Winters thing, you have to have a bad guy in a TMNT movie. Um, and so they needed a big bad. I think it is kind of OK, but I feel like his character isn't explored enough to have like his like... I was a bad guy and want to make better, you know, it feels unearned. So um, that said, I think the whole growth of the Turtles as characters and the growth of Splinter and April and Casey totally overshadows that. And I think that the way that they did it was really cool. And the foot was also there. Let's go with Hiroshi next.
3: Okay, well, you answer one of my questions because I wasn't sure if this movie could be sacred because of the timing. I mean, it's only eight years old. So, that doesn't meet your typical requirements, but as it's open for this right now, I'm going to go ahead and say this movie, shockingly to me, is sacred. Because once again, I walked into this with a chip on my shoulder. I think in the first episode I did with you guys, I even called out, Raph's wearing body armor? Who would do that? That's stupid. (laughs) But Hmm. it was actually, it was really well sequenced. Uh, I felt like... Parts where they may have glossed over some of the plot and for some of the sequences, which maybe could have used a bit more fleshing out overall... They did a really good job of telling a complete story and whether or not it was because it was animation rather than live action or if it was just the right writers were on for this project, you really had a lot of depth of character from the people that you needed it from. Yeah, Donnie and Mike were definitely glossed over and that's a shame because Mike was my favorite growing up, Donatello's my favorite now. They're also background characters. They're never meant to be the top two guys and when you've got a conflict as to what's going on leadership wise it makes sense that they take a back seat um you know mike you hit the head the nail when you were talking about winters you need a big bad and i think they did a really interesting job of establishing the, the the big bad the way they did even though putting technology on statues makes you know living rock i don't get but you know suspend disbelief a little bit you know foot Clan was just there but Overall, I like I said, I think they did a really great job throughout this movie, and it took me by surprise, which is why I've got to give it a sacred.
2: Wow. I guess that just leaves me. Go, Peter. Go, Peter. Go. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. <laughs> now I have the courage to go on. Well, uh, I hate to do this to you guys, but I'm going to have to dissent. Now... I was not able to consider this movie sacred, not just because it doesn't qualify as a sacred cow due to that eight-year thing, but... We already waived that when we talked about what we were going to talk about, well, so... Well, you know how I love rules, but ahead. anyway. It's all right. <laughs> the main reason why this movie is not sacred is the same reason why I couldn't consider the third movie to be sacred. And that's just because it's not really necessary to the series. Uh, There's no Turtles mythos that's furthered. I mean, the the introduction of Karai, the the foot, you know, chick, was something (laughs) that I didn't know about while I was watching it. But, I mean, it's just, it's not... important to the story to the evolution of the characters yes there has been some evolution the characters the turtles have all changed but it all happened off screen and basically all of the character development in this movie is to return them to the status quo of being four butt-kicking turtles who patrol the streets of new york at night that's great Okay, that's what we wanted, but it, it it's just, it's episodic. It doesn't feel like it really uh, covers any new ground. Um, and I do have a beef with the CG because it looks dated. It's it's old looking. I know they weren't going for realism, but it, it feels like a cartoon. And that just means it doesn't feel like the rest of the series. Um, I feel like this movie was better than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, but I wouldn't say that either of the other two live-action movies were worse than it. I wouldn't even say that if you were watching the Ninja Turtles film series that you necessarily need to see this one. You could stick with the first three, essentially. But hey, this is a democracy. Talk me out of it, guys.
3: Well, that being said, I, I gotta say, like, saying it doesn't add anything to it is absolutely true. But when you consider the fact that this movie was 15 years after TMNT 3 yep. and you take it out of that franchise, this movie, I think, does a great job of working for that young teen audience, bringing them into the Turtles universe. I really think it's 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 perfect for that. You know, as an adult, it feels weird saying, yes, I'm calling this movie that I am saying is meant for young teens. is sacred. But... <laughs> I just think it, it really worked well for bringing the new generation. So you're,
2: you're with Peter Laird. It's not part of the original series then?
3: I don't think so. Like, I personally view it outside of that, which would actually remove it from contention as a sacred cow as well. So I'm kind of defeating myself. Aha! It gets but sold in the box set, guys. It doesn't need to be. <laughs> You've
2: fallen into my trap. <laughs> That's a good point, Mike. They marketed them together. See, t-
1: t- okay, yeah. so if you take it if you take it outside of of what you're saying turtle lord you're right it might it might not further the story because there's so much that happens off screen but in a, the same way that you consider a batman story you know to be a good batman story on its own um i mean this this story says okay what if the teenage mutant ninja turtles were basically jaded what if they you know, didn't feel like it made a difference anymore. They lost their direction. That's the premise behind this movie. You know, what if that happened? Mm
3: -hmm.
1: How do we get back to being superheroes, essentially?
2: Okay. Yeah. I like what you guys are saying. And I agree. If this movie is a standalone movie, I like it a lot better than I did if it was part of the film series. And in that respect, it would be sacred. But we reviewed it as a film series, and if we consider this to be the much belated sequel of the first three movies... I mean, sorry guys, Turtle Mania was already over for me when this movie came out, so it doesn't even get the nostalgic Mm -hmm. vote. I don't know, I gotta say my overall vote's still not sacred. I,
3: I, I can't say I blame you there. I mean, at the same time, you know... I, I look at GoldenEye as still being a great movie, even though it does nothing to further James Bond's prefer- er, right. story. You know, but I can't fault you because it's true. In terms of that franchise, A, it, it, it doesn't feel like it's part of the same movies at all. But So on that regard, yes, it doesn't meet the expectations that you would. But it's still, for me, just an enjoyable watch and something worth doing, so... Yeah. I, I'm gonna have to. Stick it was with sacred. a good
2: movie. I'll say that.
1: All right. Well. Um, yeah, you haven't swayed me yet either. Unfortunately, no. It's all
2: good. If they had called it a reboot, if this had been Michael Bay's reboot and it was actually good like this, I'd be giving it a sacred vote. But if it's part of the series, they could have just it. called
1: it Turtles in Their Twenties. Yeah. You know <laughs> <laughs> That was part of the reason Teenage they didn't, they didn't call turtles. it Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They called it TMNT because it was, they're not in their 20s. 20-something or, or mutant ninja, ninja turtles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, um,
2: so a- I... Asterisk by my vote.
1: Yes, I guess um, and because this is a democracy, ultimately Sacred Cowboys ends up calling this sacred, but Peter's... But
2: the resolution passes because of the two-thirds vote, so yes. I
1: will be defeated <laughs> gracefully. All right, so uh, Bovinus Sanctorum. All right, so... But I'll never stop fighting, see? What we're going to do now is we're going to come back and we're just going to summarize the whole series that we've talked about thus far. Okay, so now is the final Sacred or Not vote for the entire Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie franchise, excluding the Michael Bay-esque Reboot that just happened. <clears throat> but
2: it's the final time we'll talk about turtles ever. Probably not. No, I don't. I don't think so.
1: So, um, <laughs> so last time today, anyway, let's just kind of break it down. We've talked about, um, the first, second, and third, which are definitely, definitely part of the same canonical series. We talked about the fourth, which we just had a pseudo debate of whether it's part of the series or
2: not, but hey, it's sold in the same package. Um, It's hard to lie with marketing. (laughs) Well, I mean, marketers have been wrong before, too. But (laughs) Lying and marketing? Now that I mention that. Yeah.
1: So, uh, Pete, let's start with you. Do you think, as a whole, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie series is sacred?
2: Yes. Hiroshi, how about you? No, just kidding. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think that while there were some missteps in the film series, that is the first four, I guess we'll go with that. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Uh, The sum is definitely greater. The whole... Shit! The whole shit. (laughs) The whole is greater than the sum of the parts in this scenario. Uh, Turtle Mania is what it is. It had a life of its own... It's so much more than just the movies, even though we're just talking about the movies. You still can't be completely objective and ignore the fact that the cartoons exist. The action figures that you love to play with exist. You loved pizza uh, and that kind of crap. Definitely a phenomenon that cannot be dismissed as not sacred ever. I mean, it it is what it is. It was the zeitgeist of the times for it second or third grader in the early 90s and so of course it's sacred okay um i'm gonna go ahead and uh
1: agree with you that i believe that the series is sacred obviously the movies are of varying quality i think the first one is still sort of like if you have to watch one that's the one to watch it's a perfect concise turtles experience that said i think all the rest of them are worth watching too Uh, You know, just get the whole story of the movie Turtles and also, you know, just get uh, appreciation, you know, being a movie fan. I mean, I assume you are if you listen to this podcast uh, of of the different sort of directing styles, directions, um, you know, the pluses and minuses that go with the each thing. And ultimately, um, you know, these are all movies you can still like, you know, if you have a family or whatever, you can watch with your family and, um, you know, not feel bad about it. And
2: they will make sarcastic remarks throughout the whole thing.
1: Yeah. And they'll wonder, like especially in the earlier movies, uh, what some of these things are, why April's hair is so crazy and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like that. <laughs> so um, that said, I, you know, uh, Turtle Mania still is a thing. I mean, it's not as, as big as it was. Um But it's not gone away and there's currently a Nickelodeon cartoon besides the Michael Bay movies that is pretty popular. And again, we're not like uh, we're not a monoculture anymore. Um, It's not like there's only three channels and, you know, whatever's on ABC, CBS or NBC is the hit. Um, We're on like pocket culture and people like what they like. So. Showing them this, maybe people will like these turtles versus the current Nickelodeon incarnation, or maybe versus the Michael Bay turtles. It's always good to um, you know, experience New Horizons, and I think this, uh, this stands the test of time. What about you, Hiroshi?
3: There's, there's no way you can say anything other than sacred if you were in my shoes. You know, like I said in the first episode, I had a teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles birthday party. Obviously, they played a big role on me as a child, and a lot of it had to do with that first movie. Now, looking at the franchise on a whole, absolutely, like I, I didn't vote sacred on two or three. That doesn't mean there aren't parts that you can't take away from those movies and really enjoy. And I think when you look at all of that combined, it's just, it's a wonderful series of films that take me back to being a child. And anytime you can get that, that's something to be recognized. It's something to be, anytime you can get that kind of nostalgic feel bringing you back. How do you not appreciate that? So this definitely has to be something that is completely sacred. To
2: and, and look at me, man! I voted not sacred on the last three of the four turtles movies, and I'm still calling it sacred. It, it's definitely just—it's oh, yeah. about a feeling, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I exactly. Yeah, I think we all,
1: even though we voted some of the movies not sacred, I mean, uh, they—we didn't say they weren't fun, you know. I had fun watching yeah. all of
2: these movies.
1: Yeah, except so, for most of two. Oh yeah. Uh, it's then so <laughs> it, in, in those cases where they weren't sacred, essential. No, still fun. Yeah, you know. Okay, well then this is a unanimous verdict for the TMNT series. We are saying that it is sacred, and we will be right back with final thoughts. <laughs> And that's our show. Thank you for so much for listening to not only the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 and 4 review, but also the other two Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies that we reviewed in their individual episodes. And, of course, just listening to the podcast. We love you very much. We do. And we want to thank our guest, Hiroshi. Uh, This is going to be our final episode with him. Eh, But he'll probably be back sometime.
3: Man, I love movies, and there's so many that I can think of off the top of my head. I would love discussing with you guys. So hopefully sometime you'll be able to make this work again. Come on back. It'd be awesome.
2: I know we had a hell of a good time. Sad to see it end, but we'll we'll see you again soon. Definitely. For those of you wondering, now the next episode that we
1: do will be a feedback episode. And we've already got lots of feedback about these particular episodes um a lot of it in tweets and things like that but also
2: uh that's why i haven't seen it
1: yeah um we're hoping for your emails <laughs> we've got some reviews um you know just keep you know getting us uh anything that you want to say about it the whole feedback episode is it's sort of a discussion your thoughts that's where we share them that's where we get you to talk about it um and you know uh talk about it with us talk about it with each other uh let us know what you're what you're thinking, and so the ways that you can get in touch with us, of course, are on our Twitter feed. That's at Sacred Cows Pod. Once again, that's at Sacred Cows Pod. Uh, secondarily, you can get a hold of us uh, in more long form, especially if you have a lot to say. In our email address, that's Sacred at herooftheweb.com. That's Sacred Cows at hero of the web.com and finally of course um we love those itunes reviews every podcast says it but the more itunes reviews you get the more hot you are in apple's eyes and then the more they share you and the more likely you are to get parts of other lists and, and ways that people can find you so please please give us those itunes reviews uh five stars if you feel like we deserve it uh and also feel like you know you want to bash us please give us five stars anyway and bash us later in the in the comments
3: it's the best way to do it really
1: hiroshi uh where can people find you and what's going on with you right now
3: well you can find me at maybe hiroshi on twitter where you will see me pimping a project going on right now that is happening with the cthulhu and friends podcast we've got a kickstarter going What we are trying to do is get a series of comic books made, written by the CAF, Game Master Veronica, and illustrated by the brilliant and talented artists that we have in our fan base. Right now, we've hit our goal, but we're trying to get stretch goals to make more people uh, make more comics with these incredibly talented people, so... Unfortunately, Kickstarter URLs are really difficult to work with. So, if you go to geeklyinc.com, look up the CAF podcast, look up Project Bombshell Kickstarter, you'll find it there. And also, keep an eye out on Twitter for me, because I'm going to be pushing this hard over the next few weeks.
1: All right, and you can also find um, information about Cthulhu and Friends podcast with at CAF podcast. Um, They're going to be saying stuff about there. If you haven't listened to the show... Please, please go listen to it. It is a great show. Uh, Lots of drama, well-produced, and lots of fun and and comedy, too, uh, in with the darkness and Cthulhu (laughs) Mythos
3: stuff. (laughs) We're a little bit heavy-handed on the drama at times, but we do like to lighten it up.
1: So, Heck yeah. Yeah, um... I, of course, can be found on Twitter with at White Morph. Um, feel free to talk to me and and tell me what you think of the show there
2: individually. And Pete can be found. I have nothing clever to say. I'm turning into a Luddite in my old age.
1: Yeah. So um, if you want to talk to Pete, <laughs> be sure to send him tweets at uh, Sacred Pod or, or the email address. Or and, maybe we
2: could lead it, meet at the library or something. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, we'll... Maybe uh, if you're really nice, we'll give out his phone number. (laughs) (laughs) 555. Thanks again, Hiroshi, for joining us for these three episodes.
3: Guys, thank you for having me. This was an incredible experience for me. Had so much fun. It has been
1: a pleasure for sure. Indeed. Yes. All right, so uh, join us next time for our feedback episode and the announcement of the next movie or movies... Put your thinking caps on. Yes. uh, We'll obviously do the usual clues through the Twitter feed. So watch out for that. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye.